This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey guys, quick thing. The Talksport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Guna Talk. Back again with you guys for another show, for another episode of our Guna Talk podcast, our TGT podcast. Every week, I'm joined by a couple of guests from our regular section as we look back at the week's events, which looks like after Boxing Day had turned a corner, we gained traction, we gained momentum, things were looking up. But if there's one thing that you could be promised being an Arsenal fan, it's disappointment, frustration, and officials screwing you over. I'm very happy to say that this week I'm joined by two fantastic guests who I have muted, so they will need to unmute themselves when they wish to speak. First of all, it's John. How you doing, mate? Are you well? Doing good. Doing good. As good as you can, right? With this, I mean, uh, like, it's just so far. We'll talk about it. I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Good. Yes. No. Yeah. In, in terms of general life, things are well, besides yeah, things, Arsenal. Yeah, things are, <laughs> I mean, as good as they can be as well, I guess. But yeah, you know, it's just it's just the same, same old crap. Same old crap. Yes. Same old crap. Same old crap. <laughs> and the man who we, th- I mean, I was uncomfortable watching the game, but if there's a man that is sitting in a more uncomfortable position and on a, a wooden chair, <laughs> it's Adam. How you doing, mate? I'm good. I'm paying for my sins, though, man. I'm, it's like I'm doubling down on the on the, the, the controversy, on the issues, the problems that we have by sitting on this chair. Um, and, I, and I also got embroiled in a Twitter storm, which is. Oh. The- one of those that's happened tell. tell me about uh, this so so the tfo group chat decided to put out a, a worst 11 um mm. <laughs> great idea <laughs> it, was, it was like a really bad worst 11 because there was no logic to behind it it was like top six player teams um sorry top six club players sorry um but with melier in there as well and i just got swarmed by leeds fans uh because i was the one that posted it so so yeah that was that was really fun really really nice nice yeah i mean it's just a a bit of a glutton for punishment at the moment i think um (laughs) yeah 
Yeah, I mean, I sat here on Friday and did like um, on our Let's Talk Arsenal show and someone asked, do your like all-time Emirates 11, like post-Emirates era 11. And uh, I put Bakayo Saka in at the beginning and the amount of people that were saying, what are you doing? Where's Theo Walcott on the right-hand side? And I was like, oh God, didn't realise there was this much love for Theo Walcott, but there was, there is apparently. Why? So, I don't know. I, just, I, just, I don't know. Yes, Does anyone... Does anyone watch him? He scored over 100 goals for us. I mean, that's fair. I understand that. But yeah, they're saying Bakai Saka's not done enough yet. And I, I get that. It's just, Theo Walcott ran away celebrating after scoring against us. Like, how can I how can I celebrate him? Although, saying that, I did put Robin Van Persie as my striker. So it's just completely, but I don't think there's an argument. Well, no, he's one of the best. Yeah, yeah. He's, I mean, it's annoying, but it's true. Yeah. Like, we, we hate him, but he, honestly, when you think about it, he's probably the best striker we've had at the Emirates. So that's yeah. that's the issue. Thierry Henry did play at the Emirates, of course, but that didn't really wasn't the same as, as Highbury, that's for sure. Um anyway, we're getting off on a tangent already. I can see where this pod's gonna devolve into. Um but we obviously drew yesterday, John, against Burnley. It's incredibly yeah. frustrating. What are your raw reactions to the game? I think it's really difficult to kind of pinpoint one thing to be upset about. About there's so much that kind of went wrong with this match, and it's so weird because we didn't even lose, right? That's the thing we we drew, but it feels like a loss. It feels like points lost, and really, I think it comes down to for me the biggest thing besides the the penalty that was a clear cut penalty was just the missed chances. And I thought it was frustrating because we probably saw Saka have the worst match he's had in, in an Arsenal shirt, which you know you hope it doesn't keep continuing. I'm guessing it's just the, the kids played so much football and all of these mm. players have played so much football at this point that like it was beginning to to wear on them and sometimes it's just it's just not your day right like you're you're hitting the you're hitting the woodwork you know you're missing clear-cut chances like pepe missing a I, I I would have scored that goal probably, but you know it, it's it happens. It happens. It's not the end of the world, but it was not a fun match to watch. I even tweeted at the time, "This match is so frustrating," and I think that that is the best word to describe what this game was. It's frustrating mm. um, from the from the refereeing, from the missing chances, from the the goal that was conceded. It was all just frustrating, and that's what it is. Adam, what what do you make of the point of view? that Arsenal didn't do enough to win the game. I mean, if that's Adam's thinking face, oh, no, he's gone. He's like, <laughs> did you see that? He agrees. I think he agrees. Adam did say that his connection may be a little bit iffy, as as mine has been recently. I mean, John, the, the whole point, people were kind of putting out there that we didn't deserve to win this game. And um, I, I don't know. I feel like we created we a lot of big chances. Like, yeah. I don't look at that game and go... This felt like the Arsenal of November, December, where we could barely win a fixture. We couldn't even barely yep. score a goal. I don't feel it was like that. Mm-hmm. I felt like it was a game that was more... <laughs> it's just like we could we could do everything we could and still not end up putting the ball in the back of the net because we created yeah. so many big chances. It was one of those days that it just nothing kind of goes your way. And uh, when you're asking, do you think we should deserve to win those... Uh, I think that you have to be, if you're really off, if your team is really off, you really, you know, it is, it's hard to say that you deserve to win a game like that. You know, obviously we're making the chances. You look at the the expected goals or whatever. You look at the penalty decision. I think we should have at least had another goal. W- one way or another, it, the penalty should have been awarded for the handball. <laughs> we'll do, we we'll should, talk about that. <laughs> yeah, it should have been awarded for the handball. Forget all the other goal, the the, the ones that we missed. Even, a, even with that crazy goal with Leno and Xhaka, 
you know, it still would be 2-1 in my opinion. So I think in that regard, we deserve to win. But it, knowing that sometimes it's just not your day, I, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to say we deserve to win, right? Even though I think that there were chances, like you said, that were being made. Yeah. Adam, are you back? Are you there with us? I think so, man. I'm so sorry, Tom. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's fine, mate. You know that on your phone, if you turn your phone sideways, it does feel the whole screen. Like, oh, there hey. you go. Hey, look at that. 21st century. Anyway, I was saying to John, I was saying to before you went, John John gave his point of view, but there was a it was kind of a a point of view that was put across, and it was in some of the comments from the show yesterday that we didn't actually do enough to win the game for some people. It's like well, Arsenal didn't deserve to win that game. What do you make of that? I think that's a little bit harsh. Um, honestly, I'm actually quite okay, selfishly relieved because I didn't think there was going to be much to talk about in this game. Uh, I thought it was going to be a simple Arsenal, maybe 1-0, 2-0 win. You've seen Arsenal before, Adam. I have, I have. I have. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um, but yeah, so so I, I think it's really harsh to say that Arsenal didn't do enough to win the game. Uh, I saw a couple of comments at halftime where people were saying that Burnley looked good. And I unless they watched a different game to the one I did, I, I, I have a completely different take. Um yeah. I think they eventually grew into the game. And mm. I think that was because Arsenal gave away a stupid, sloppy goal at a really unfortunate and, and ill-timed time uh, or ill-timed moment. But but I, I think we gave it to Burnley. Um, the sheer fact that they didn't even score afterwards would, would tell you that it was us giving it away rather than them sort of snatching it from us, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I, I think we did do enough. Obviously, we had a couple, well, we had a harsh decision go against us. VAR, well done, managed to get the Eric Peters decision right. But, I mean, it gives with one hand and takes away with the other. So, I think it's a little bit ridiculous. No pun intended. No. <laughs> or, was it, or was it intended, John? It was totally intended. He put his hand <laughs> Ridiculous, mm-hmm. ridiculous. Yeah, it, uh, just jumping jump in on that, Men and Blazers actually tweeted out that since we're talking about this, 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 uh, what the game was, it said Arsenal are football's version of one of those Japanese game show obstacle courses where everything is designed <laughs> to, to catch his castle or hit you in the crotch. And that's <laughs> yeah. kind of what it feel like, felt like. It felt like one of those games where everything was just designed to just like, what else? What's next? What next can we do to like make it difficult for us to win this game? Oh, let's have an obvious penalty, like not even looked at. No, you know, like it's, it's, and, and whatever, it's just part of the deal yeah that's okay we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the penalty in a bit um because it happened a little bit later on and there was some other stuff to talk about obviously the, the goal we scored um was good um it was a good goal as well worked we played out from the back which obviously was our, our downfall a little bit later on in the game but we played out from the back and Partey's movement Willian's assist and Abamyang scoring John that goal that he always scores where he cuts him from the left and strikes into the bottom left-hand corner. It's it's almost as if we should play him more from the left because it seems to work. <laughs> Go on. Yes. Uh, are you asking me if we should play him from the left? I think well, I'm asking you if if kind of yeah, the whole idea about playing him as an out and out striker. Do we actually play like a system that suits Abamyang really? Because it's a strange position that he plays. Because if you play him as out and out striker, he ends up drifting to the left which means it leaves our right winger with loads of space and, and not much kind of help. because And in a way, you could ask and argue that's why maybe Pepe struggles playing yeah. alongside Aubameyang because Pepe kind of does really well when he plays nearer a forward. So he's got people to make runs for him, make space for him instead of being kind of overloaded with defenders. Yeah. So do you think that Aubameyang, 
it works as kind of this sole striker that drifts? Is it work? Obviously, works in the sense of the first goal, but for the rest right. of the game, we did kind of struggle to get the ball to Aubameyang in key scenarios. Well, and I think that's the key. I think that if you're going to play him as a central striker, you need to make sure that you're playing to his strengths as a central striker. He loves playing off shoulders of defenders and making those little runs, and you have to get someone that could feed him the ball. You need a technically proficient, and I think like Odegaard playing as like a 10 would be able to kind of pierce the lines there that would allow uh, Aubameyang to get the ball in positions and in a body position that would allow him more chances to score on goal. That being said, I also think that you, like you said, you need to consider who's on the wings. I think that mm. Pepe on the left actually did really, really well for a while there. And then that kind of just disappeared out of nowhere. And there was no real explanation for why Pepe wasn't, like, he was he was amazing for him on the left. And everyone was going, look, this is it. Like you have this great mm. thing going on. And then we can talk about the merits of that. But I think that, yeah, that you need to get the dynamic on the wings correctly if you're going to have Aubameyang playing centrally. And I think that we started off when, you know, there was a good run of games where that was happening. And then all of a sudden we stopped it. And, I think that, you know, to answer your question, if we're going to play him centrally, you need to have technical players in in that like half space between the yard box and then our, our uh, you know, uh, the, the center circle that's going to be able to give him the ball. And you need people on the wings who are, like you said, if there's going to be one favor because he goes to the left, you're going to need to compensate for that on the right. And you're going to need to coach it that way. Otherwise, you're going to have these big gaps in space in the pitch. And then all of a sudden, it's not going to work out. And you're going to see um, uh, Obama either not getting fed the ball or no other attacking threat if the defense can actually shut Obama down, which is what we saw. Suraj says that you're spot on in the assessment, so you must have said something right. It's exactly how he feels. <laughs> um, Adam, obviously, that the, the goal came again. Willian with the assist, and yeah. he's someone that we've given a lot of stick. Yeah. I have, other people have, um, and he's now got more assists than Riyad Mahrez, than Hakim Ziyech, than a lot of other high-profile players in the league. Is, the, is it a combination of fair play, Willian, and shame on us? Or is there an element of, no, he was very poor for the first half of the season? How do you assess Willian at the moment? Uh, I think contextually, our reaction wasn't um, sort of overestimated or, or too much. I think considering we had had so many Chelsea rejects in particular, um I think another one in the shape of Willian, when we already had uh, an aging playmaker on our books, didn't really seem to make much sense. So I think he deserved the stick that he got, especially considering he didn't sort of wow us besides maybe the first game of the season when we played against Fulham and he he, he played fairly well. Um, so yeah, I don't think there was much of an overreaction in that sense, but fair play to Willian because he has done what I think we wanted him to do what Arteta mm. had of him since all of the criticism. Um, and I think just picking up on something John said um, when he was speaking, that Arteta hasn't really given much of an explanation as to why he sort of dropped Pepe or played him on the left. I I think I think it might have been after the Olympiacos game, he said that there wasn't much space for, for Pepe to run in behind and he wanted uh, Willian on the pitch because he's better in tight, tighter spaces. And I think perhaps there needs to be a bit more of an understanding, or for Arsenal fans, we need to try and understand uh, Arteta's methodology a little bit more. Um, mm. It's probably difficult to, to bear, difficult to understand, especially when Pepe, we've wanted him to play well for so long and then he does it. And they were like, why would you drop him? But if we're going to trust Arteta, I guess we have to trust his methods as well. Um, even though I understand that it can be quite frustrating at times. 
Yeah, it, it is really frustrating at times. And, and especially, I mean, some of the substitutions I have a, a big issue with, with some of them that are made. And and Willian's performances, I don't think anyone expected him to be as bad as he has been in the in the first half of the season. And maybe that is just him finally a law, maybe even a law of averages that he can't remain this kind of poor for this long. And he is going to turn things around eventually. And maybe that is happening. I've also spoken to some Chelsea fans who have said that he goes through these periods of six games or so during a season where he does look really good. I mean, if that's the start of a six game period, I mean, great. Hopefully it goes on for longer than six games. Um, and that they come at really good moments. I mean, including those six games would be Olympiacos twice and Spurs. So if he plays in those games and smashes it, great. But obviously, we've just got to see those things happen. And it is annoying, as me and John were saying, that Spurs come good literally just as we, before we play. Oh, it's they always, just scored again, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Uh, I think Kane with another. Son and Kane. Yeah, Son and Kane. So it is what, yeah, yeah, it is what it is. Uh, yep, we'll get yep. to that game a little bit later on today, I'm sure. Um, Let's get to the really frustrating part of the, the match. I mean, I say the really, there was quite a few of them, but one of them, um, which was Burnley's equaliser, John. Uh, yeah. how, how do I phrase this question? <laughs> um, what, the... Question, well, what the hell were we doing? I say <laughs> we, because I don't particularly want to, I don't want to pin it on one person, because I do no. think that Leno and Xhaka are Both in equal fault for this. Yep. So talk me through your thoughts around the mistake. So, okay, so yes, yeah, to start the premise that both of them are at fault for this, um, I think that I get, and Leno came out and kind of said this after the match, we play from the back, that's what we do, we're not, you know, but you don't always, first of all, you don't always have to play from the back, and <sighs> a good time not to play from the back is when the the midfielder who's playing in a defender's role at the moment, who you know has a weak right foot, is covered by other players from the opposing team, and then you pass while they're under pressure and you're not, to a player on their weak foot. That's asking for trouble. And I get like Jack's pass was abysmal. It was terrible. And you know, it's like one every, you know, he'll make one every 18.7 uh games. Games. I did the math. I did the math. And and (laughs) I I have a lot, yes. So and and you know, and then they tweeted this. So we can get into that because I actually looked at it and it's and it's interesting when you're looking at the just the volume of games he's played in the last five seasons and the minutes that he's played in the last five seasons, you're gonna make mistakes as your chances to do so increase. It's gonna happen. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, we could talk about that later because I think it's interesting. But when you're looking at why this mat this mistake happened, it was a combination of both of those things. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it just it sucks. It sucks. It's a it's a goal that really, you know, and you look at you look at the, the Burnley players just kind of like i don't know what the hell just happened i just scored a goal somehow all right let's do this uh they didn't expect to score even i think uh and they barely threatened us at all so that was a gift and it sucked and uh it was avoidable for, on two different occasions but i think it starts with leno and it goes to jaka and and that's there's not much else there it's just a bad decision from both parts um you know it is. It is what it is. It's one of one of Jaka's weaknesses is the ability to be technical in tight areas if he's under pressure and things like that. We know that. So why put him in that position? If you could avoid it, avoid it. Um, and mm-hmm. that's not talking about Jaka as a player. And there's this broader conversation regarding Jaka, but he's on the pitch right there, right? It's not, you know, it, it, it's irrelevant who should be there instead of him, or if you whatever you think. Point is, is he's there. You got to ma- maximize his his potential and minimize the risk that was a very risky pass to him and it is what it is and then we can see the goal yeah we do um i 
it's really frustrating um, because not because obviously of the game, of the timing of it, towards the end of the first half, it, re- it had absolute mirror image of like the, the Wolves game where we had an amazing kind of first 35, 40 minutes and then utterly just shot ourselves in the foot. And it's just that, I mean, Adam, how it frustrates me because I know you and me have sat here and I, do you want to switch devices at this point? Is this what you're pointing me towards? <laughs> Let's do that, actually, yeah. We've got double Adam. <laughs> there we go. Whoa. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was, like, looking at the in- chat. And it came back. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, Adam can hear. Can you hear us now, Adam, on the new device? Yeah, we yeah. Can. So, um, we do this to ourselves, and it frustrates me because the season has been such a poor season. At the start of the season, things were really bad. And mm-hmm. as John said, like Xhaka has these kind of individual errors in him. He makes these mistakes every 18.7 games. John's done the maps. Um, uh, wait, I, and, I, since you brought it up, I'm just, I, I got, I'm sorry. Oh, I don't mean oh, to hijack this one, but since, uh, just so we can get it, he's, he's played in the last, and this is according to, according to infogoal.net, he has played. Just in the Premier League alone, 13,464 minutes of football. Football. Minutes (laughs) minutes of football. All right. So, and just the way that that breaks down in 2021, he's played 22 games, only one as a sub with an average of 88 minutes per match. Uh, This is just in the Premier League. In 2019 20, he played 30 games with one as a sub, an average of 90 minutes per match. 28, uh, yeah. And then 2018, 2019, 29 minutes, uh, 29 games apps zero as a sub with an average of 92 minutes per match uh and then and and then it keeps going 2017 2018 37 games one as a sub 91 average minutes per match 16 17 you get get my point my point is in all of that time that's an immense amount i can't imagine in the last five years that and and someone could go do the math because i'm I'm really not interested in looking at it but if someone could show me i imagine that is a a a significant amount of time to be on the pitch for any player especially in the midfield in the premier league in a top club that's fighting on multiple fronts because he's also played in europa league and and the fa cup and stuff like that And, and to stay stay fit as long as you can for that long and to be mm. on the pitch that long, you're gonna make mistakes. It's gonna happen. I mean, it's it's lethargy. It's just it's you know human being a human. No one's perfect. You know, obviously right. some players might. So the point is, there's more of a chance of him making a mistake because he's been on this inordinate amount of time being wow. relied on for the last five seasons straight. And and it's actually kind of crazy to think about. It's basically one. It averages to about one mistake per season in the league. If you break it down, but the reality is it's been better the last season and think about the context of that. All of the changes that have happened in the last five years with respect to the manager, the transition from Wenger, you know, fighting to get in the top four, you know, two different other managers, including an interim manager, like there's a context there. So when you see a stat, oh, you've made eight mistakes, which is more than any other one. You got to look at like, well, I, yeah, but like, I know what tweet you're referenced. Was it who scored? I don't want to, but I think it was Arino or someone. I don't remember someone. It's just some, it's it's that he does. And we're not, this is is not what we're saying is, and we're not saying this is like, oh, the mistakes. Okay. It's okay that he did that because he's played all these minutes. That's not what we're saying. The point is, is that it's frustrating because for a player that's had actually over the last few games, I mean, he's played 12 games, I think, in a row um, mm. without rest. And when we talked about players that do need rest, yes, a, a mistake is probably eventually going to happen. And we did enough, in my view, to make up for that mistake. And we should have put the game to bed after we even made the mistake in yeah. the game. So we corrected yeah. the chances to do that. And we didn't. And because we didn't, he is going to be villainized 
completely for this. And the, he's gonna and the dichotomy, the juxtaposition between the, the dialogue and the narrative that was the last game where he was. I'm sorry, I don't mean to inter, like in, like totally hijack your question, Adam. I hate you. But no, I'm so you. sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But uh, you know, Jocko was such Adam's a big never coming back. back. You've hurt no. his feelings. Jocko was such a big talking point last match when he did so well, and just this juxtaposition of the way that people are talking about him now. It's it's worth mentioning because it's such an interesting mm. kind of yeah. thing about how football works one week to another and yeah. and and the frustration that's kind of bubbling up between one group of fans who probably weren't saying much when he was doing well but now that he's made this mistake that was like obviously a, a big part on him it just comes out which is football i get it but like i like to look at the context i'm i'm i've never been one that's just going to blindly back a player like i but i'm also one that's not going to unfairly criticize them jaka has these mistakes in his game and oh, a lot does. of <laughs> and, and a lot of our players have these individual mistakes. And I think that's one of the biggest problems that we have moving mm -hmm. forward is to get these little individual errors that totally yeah. change the game. Which is out. why you I wouldn't get... be renewing David Luiz's contract. Like, that, that's a good argument why you wouldn't. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it hijack, but it was just something I wanted to get no, out there. I, I think I think it's, it's really worth bringing that up. And the thing is, Adam, is that... Let's, go, let's play devil's advocate to this, right? So Xhaka has been good for us. This is an individual mistake. And people obviously will associate him in the same bracket of the likes of David Luiz, who makes mistakes, with Squadron Mustafi, who's made mistakes, with Rash get red cards and silly moments in games, and ultimately cost us points, which is yep. the most important thing. And there are players out there that are a little bit rash, and they do make mistakes, but ultimately still do very good things and, and over the majority are kind of respective for what they've done on the pitch and won't be necessarily remembered for some of the bad things that yeah. they've necessarily done. Xhaka, I still feel, will be remembered mostly for the errors that he's made and especially for some of the controversial things that have happened on football pitches. Yeah. We talk about Crystal Palace at last season in 2019, which is just a horrible moment. I was there in the ground and it was it was disgusting from, from both him and, and I feel also from the fan base that were booing mm -hmm. him as, they, as he walked off the pitch. Um, but at the same time, we do need to move on, in my view, from these players that do make mistakes. And yes, as John points out, law of averages is he is eventually going to make an error. But I, I do feel like there are players that may make these errors, but you will get a better, higher quality performance from an upgraded talent, a different player, Ives Basuma, for instance, next to Partey, than a Granite Xhaka. So... Yeah. The problem is, though, Adam, is that if you get rid of Granite, if you say sell Granite Xhaka and he's the midfielder you get rid of, and you keep what else we've got, which is Elneny, Genduzi, who's coming back, um, it, I feel Xhaka's not the first on my list of centre midfielders that I'm moving on. I'm nope. moving on, I'm upgrading on, on Elneny, which, and I'm not saying the upgrade on Elneny has to be worse than Xhaka. The upgrade that we bring on Elneny has to be better, if not as good as, as what we've already got. And, Obviously, as good as Thomas Partey, would be great because he's a fantastic player. But how do you? How does Arteta need to manage that situation in the summer? Because is it realistic to expect us to go sell Genduzi, which is probably going to happen because Arteta doesn't like him? Sell El Nenny, sell Granite Xhaka, because then you have to replace them. Sell Joe Willock, arguably too. Make the Niles who can play in midfield, arguably as well. Do you sell this many players? Is that actually? Can you do that in a summer? And if not, what does he need to do? And is Granite Xhaka staying for another season the right way to go about it? In my view, yes. Granite Xhaka staying is the right way to go about it. And I don't care who doesn't like me for saying it. I don't care who thinks I don't know football. But Granite Xhaka, <laughs> and I still maintain it, is a good football player. 
I just don't think he's until recently had the right structure, the right setup around him in order to flourish. And we can see that because when he first came in, he was playing as a holding midfielder, uh, like the MDD type role. And that is not, that's not Granite Jacker. I, I don't think he, he, will perform best there. Uh, you could then ask your questions as to why we why we bought him, if we were going to play him there. And fair enough, that's on Wenger because he did that. Um, but the fact of the matter is, he is a good player for what he does. Um, he plays as captain for, for Switzerland. He scored goals at, at World Cups. He's he scored crucial and important goals for us in big games. I can't, I can't speak highly enough of Granite Xhaka because when the going gets tough, he is always there standing up to be counted on. And I think his mentality is is infectious. And that's the reason why not only Arsene Wenger, but uh, Unai Emery, Freddie Lundberg and Mikel Arteta play this man week in, week out without fail. If he's fit, he plays. And I think people need to start understanding the game um, and... I guess football more because there's more to it than just making a mistake in the odd game here and there. And there are managers and there are statistici statisticians that will look at the the averages and say, well, he only makes a, as John said, he makes a mistake every, every season. Mm. I'll take my chances on that for, for the organization that he gives us in the buildup. Um, but do I think that there are midfielders out there that would give us more quality? Of course I do, because unless he's Sergio Busquets, or flipping Frankie de Jong, he's not he's not gonna or we can always get someone who's who's better. So so yes, I do believe that there is an argument to be had about selling Granite Jacker. I do believe that we could spend fifty million pounds on somebody and get someone better who would make less mistakes. But where Arsenal are at in their transition right now, I think that money could be spent better elsewhere um, to give, as I said right at the beginning, the right structure for a player like Xhaka to, to perform better. And I think once you do that, you begin to see the, the mistakes from his game um, become even more uh, or even less frequent as we've seen this season. Despite this conversation, I disagree in the sense about money being spent elsewhere because I personally, that's the first position I'm upgrading in the summer. For me, Centre midfield, Thomas Partey's partner, is the number one role I'm upgrading on in the summer because yeah. th there's a number of reasons for that and it's not down to what we talked about. Clearly, from what I've said, I have a lot of faith in, in Granite Xhaka and I, I, I like it, the football aspect of Granite Xhaka a lot. It's just I look at Partey's injury record and I look at I look at what's been left and it's how I feel other teams like West Ham, like Everton, like Villa are above us because our midfield has been so weak for so much of this season and how other teams are around us. That's I genuinely put the evidence as to why we're where we are in the league is a lot down to how weak our midfield has been. The key part of Arsenal's team, wherever we've been in whatever kind of decade, I've always looked at as the midfield being the key bit of Arsenal's team, which makes it work. In the late, in, in, in the early, sorry, uh, teens, it was all about Santi Cazorla and how he pulled the strings from midfield. Prior to that, you're looking at the likes of, of Patrick Vieira, obviously, and prior to that, you're going back even further to the 70s and you're looking at players like Liam Brady. It's always been the centre of Arsenal's midfield that has driven and made the team tick and ultimately be a success. And that's where I look at. And that's why I'm so happy that we've got 
got Arteta and Edu that recognised that that area needed reinforcement. They went and got Thomas Partey, and mm-hmm. it sucks that he's not been available for us this season. It, it's, I can't. I'm more frustrated about that than I am about all of the poor officiating and the poor VAR decisions that have gone against us. Give me Thomas Partey for a full season over those decisions going our way because I genuinely believe had Partey been available for us for this season, we would not be where we are right now because every other team that is above us, people talk about squads being worse, but Thomas Suchek walks into Arsenal's midfield. Alan and Decore have been excellent for Everton this season. Man United, Man City, Spurs, Spurs with, I hate to talk about them in a positive way, but Heuberg has been a fantastic revelation for them this season since signing from Southampton. The teams above us have looked at the midfields and they've done the work in those areas. And that's what's carried them through. Douglas Louise has been brilliant for Aston Villa this season. It's all about the key midfielders in teams that push them up the table. And also, a lot of people laughed when we were linked to Jorginho in the summer. And I was one of those people that I'm not, I'm not sure about bringing in Jorginho. But he obviously has been very key for, for Chelsea and getting them to points where they are. And I, I genuinely look at that and go, and actually that might have been a bit of a savvy bit of business in the summer, had we, and taking them off a key rival. And I know we look at Chelsea's rejects, but Jorginho certainly wasn't a Chelsea reject. John, I know you want to come in on, on, on Jack, so go for it. Mate. Yeah, I, I, and I think just to play devil's advocate here, because I think you're raising a lot of good points, and I think it's it's a debate that's actually a valid one that's worth having, um, especially considering, like you said, the history of Arsenal's midfield as the kind of defining feature of how we play football. And if that's what mm. we're trying to get back to, then obviously you need to look at what's been going on in the midfield. So there's definitely a validity to that. I guess the devil's advocate argument is what is our goal? What are we trying to get out of this midfield? If the goal is to challenge for the league and 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 everything, then yeah, I think that there there's severely lacking quality in 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 Granite. He is not a Granite Jaka is not a midfielder that's going to win you the league. It's not. It's not going to happen, right? But is he a midfielder that will challenge for top four and get us in those Champions League spots? Possibly get us into a European final. He's already done both of those things. We've we almost twice while he's been playing for us with a with a worse partner than Partey have gotten uh, into one point off of top four as well as uh, when Wenger's uh, when he finished fifth we almost finished into the top four as well. Plus he helped us get into a European final and he's won two FA Cups with us. So you know I think that when you're saying look there's some quality issues in the midfield I think a lot of that was already addressed with Partey and I agree taking a uh, a fit Partey I would take over whatever kind of decisions and all that stuff but and and I get this this argument about what our goals need to be I want to challenge for the league I want to win the Champions League and all that stuff but I think that when you're in a rebuild I think it's it's baby steps it really is baby steps you you know I, I don't think we're in the position because we've been out of Europe for so long that we can just splash the cash like like a city or a Chelsea or a United where we can immediately fix it and all of a sudden now we're potentially title contenders, which arguably United were until Man City did their thing. So, um, uh, you know, but going going back to my point is that when you're looking at when you're looking at what we have to do, I think that midfield partnership of Jaka and Partey are enough to get into. The, to get into those top four, those Champions League positions, potentially get us to another final in a European Cup that can get us into the Champions League through another avenue. And and, and if that's the case, then uh, you know uh, you have to consider what's important in a rebuild to get to that point. And consistency, being being able to be selected week in week out, leadership, consistency, and experience. Those are things that Jaka has. So the devil's advocate position is, yes, I think that to get to the next level, we definitely need a better midfield pairing than Jaka and Partey. It's uh, a better partner for Partey. 
but mm. to get into those positions where we now have not only the financial resources, but the pull that we're in all of a sudden in a major European competition, like the Champions League, that we're, we're fighting for the top four. Now, all of a sudden, we're in a better position to get players that can do that. So, look, I get the argument, get rid of Xhaka, bring in someone else. But at, at the same and, and one thing, one other thing, if we do that, and we kind of touched on this, we need to work on our backup midfielders because there's no way that someone is going to be as vital. And when I say vital, it means the vitality of the player being selected week in and week out as Xhaka is. They're going to get injured. We're going to have backup. So it's still going to be Partey and Elneny or whatever the, the, the backup is going to be. So, yes, I, I think that it's a good point. I definitely can see upgrade is always better, right? Upgrade by definition is better than what we have. That's an easy argument. But uh, when you look at our goals and what we need to do to get to that position, I think that you have to actually be realistic about, about what we need to get there and what we have that could potentially do that. Yeah. Arsenal, I still look at... Um, Martin Keown talks about the fact that we're like five players away, like you get five or six different players in. I, I look at the team, I look at the positions. Granite Xhaka is a position that I feel that if you upgrade on that position, that, that's one of the ones I would pick. I still think that uh, I, I still think that I look at that position and go, I get what Granite Xhaka does, and I've praised him for the work that he's done with the, the way that he passes the left hand channel, releasing Tierney, releasing whoever's the left winger in the game, and he does it really, really well. Um, but I just, I just feel like if you had a more mobile, energetic, kind of similar player to Partey next to him, it would just add so much more. It, to it what totally we would. It totally would. And I'm not saying it wouldn't. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you can't upgrade Jack. I think you you could, but there are mm. certain avenues that you're going to lose out on. And oh, yeah. there's yeah, like the. Being I think always, you make up to that with where you bring in in other positions. Right, right, right. But and I think that that's true. But I think that when you're considering the sufficient, and this is, people are not going to like this, right? This with this comment I'm about to make. But if you're considering where we what we need to do, our main goal, in my opinion, is to get back into the Champions League. I, and I and, and I imagine it's it's difficult. To, our our main goal, obviously, this overarching perfect worldview is that we win the league and that we win the Champions League and all that stuff. But in order to win the Champions League, you got to be in it. So. Let's let's get there first, and I think Xhaka and Partey can get us there. And I don't. And, and the evidence is that we've almost done it with a worse partnership than Xhaka and Partey. I see it. Hector Sol says, "Haven't qualified for the Champions League since we signed Xhaka. What does that mean? We need far better players to guarantee us competing for that Champions League, alone the league." And I find this a ridiculous argument, really, because. To blame the fact that we've not, I mean, what, Abamyang? since we signed Abamyang, have we have we qualified for the Champions League? No. Is Abamyang a bad player? No. It's, it's, it's a silly argument. It's about the recruitment as a whole, the direction that we've gone, the loyalty that some managers have kept, the, the lack of identifying the right positions up until now to sign players in. And when we have signed players in positions that we've necessarily needed, we then misuse them. I look at Torreira. We needed to bring a defensive midfielder in. Torreira came in, was a revelation when he joined it. Then suddenly all of them, all of a sudden Emery wants to play him in a number 10 role I don't get it like we you we have managed things so poorly and now we've got the coach that actually identifies we need to bring a centre midfielder brings in Partey need a centre back brings in Gabriel and Pablo Marie on a permanent deal I think both of them have been successes so far that's what frustrates anyway we're getting bogged down on that thing there's a big thing that we need to talk about of course which was the penalty Adam yes I I got so angry about this. Uh, it was very clear on the, the Raw Reaction show yesterday how angry I was about this. And a lot of people have turned around and said that oh, we, can't, we can't be relying on VAR to beat Burnley. And I, frankly, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. In some games, you do need 
these decisions to go your way. Sometimes Manchester City need a penalty to win a game and they're still an amazing team. And throughout the season, you are, in games that you're expected to win, going to need certain things to go your way. And in this particular game, it just didn't. Yep. It's, it's ridiculous. And I can't look at the comments anymore because I've just seen someone say that Aubameyang is a good player. So I'm like, <laughs> no, I mean, I'm doing so well team. for a while. Oh, chatbox, you kill me. Get it back together. I just um, was that, Did he get to 50 goals quicker than Thierry Henry? Is you the, know what? It doesn't matter. Like, like, he's not a good player anyway. So okay. Anyway, yeah, I just don't know. I don't know. VAR, brilliant when it gets decisions, right? But the fact <laughs> of the matter is, a fit, like the rules of handball change depending on the referee. And I don't want to play a game which is subjective. I will be watching a game being played at an elite professional level, which is subjective. If I want that, I can go to the flipping park and I can two foot my friend and then say, it's not a foul, it's street rules football. Because it, it, just, it just turns everything into a farce. If my arm is here, it's handball. Um, that happened in a Champions League final with um, Musa Sissoko uh, but yet we've got a player who's uh, plays for Fulham his arm's down here it's not a handball I, I, I honestly I couldn't tell you what's going on Todd I do not know what the handball rule is what it's changing to or why it, it, it leads to such outcry or why it, why there needs to be such outcry for there to uh, be a, a change I don't I don't get it I just don't get it I'm sorry John, I'll let you go for gold on your views on it. It's it's despicable. It's or it's it's a joker. Right? It's, <laughs> it's good word. <laughs> I, it's despicable. It is absolute. Look, it is it is a dereliction of whatever duty they think they have as professionals getting paid and earning a living doing something. It's unreal. Anyone else who has was that incompetent at their jobs would lose it. And it's week in and week out, and it's absolutely mind-bogglingly frustrating. And I'll tell you another thing. It is so annoying that week in and week out, our dialogue and narrative is so heavily inundated with refereeing decisions. Mm. When If you are not invisible, for the most part, you are doing your job wrong as a referee. You just need to be calling, like in, in American sports, calling the balls and strikes, all right? When the game becomes about you, I can't tell you how many times this season, last season, it's increasing in frequency, it seems like, where the story is about the ref. And that can't happen. And it's disgusting. And it seems to happen to us all the time. And yeah. and if you you just have to look at the last game. I, the mental gymnastics that need to be implemented for you to argue that that is not a handball is something that I don't think anyone in their right mind would be able to do with a straight face, which is what exactly what Arteta said. He said, if that's not a handball, someone needs to explain to me what a handball is in this league because it's a handball. He, he The guy had his hand in unnatural position, moving towards the ball. There, I saw a ref that was commenting on it saying, oh, well, you know, he didn't have enough time to react. But that first one in that picture that you put up right there, same situation, <laughs> yeah. but his hands at the side, and that's a handball. He didn't have enough time to react because he made himself as big as he can. You know who does that? Goalies. <laughs> Goalkeepers do is, that. He didn't. This is what I had an argument with the head content um, guy at, at whoscored.com. I, I said, oh, it wasn't an argument. He tweeted out saying that he thought that it was the right decision that the handball was, wasn't given because he said that his arm was already in an outstretched position and he's kicked out his arm. That's, that's, that's a handball. I said, I'm, I said, I'm sorry. 
But just the fact that his arm is already outstretched and because it's supposedly a natural, I'm sorry, it doesn't matter. And he said, well, why is his arm out there? He's not exactly waving to someone in the crowd, is he? And I said, no, he's trying to, and I understand why he was patting his arm out there. He's trying to make himself as big as possible. Your coach can make yourself look as big as possible. I get that. But the thing is, is you can do that. But by putting your arms out there, you are taking a risk. You're taking a risk that the ball is going to hit your arm. And I don't know if you've tried this. Feel free to jump downstairs in your living room, get some space. And just sidestep across the room because I don't find myself flailing my arms out like the Jesus Christ statue in Rio de Janeiro at all when I'm sidestepping. And yet, for some reason, his arms are outstretched and it hits his arm. And that's what's so frustrating is that, John, the, the, the one we talked about and the, 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 the example I threw up on the screen now, I threw it up on again, was the, yeah. the Fulham Spurs example. Now, yeah. in the rules, they have to disallow that goal in the first instance. Like It is handballed by the letter of the law because it directly leads to a goal going in, and that's the rule that they've put in place. And then the rule is for this one, they've justified it by saying that there's no that the proximity is the main issue with that. Oh, now, yeah, and we, already, and we cannot... We can't have two separate handball rules. That no. cannot exist. Nope, it doesn't no. matter if this is the rules or not. It's just, it It doesn't make any sense for the handball to be, in one sense, your handball can be, the ball can hit your arm in one area of the pitch and it's handball, and in another area of the pitch, it's not handball. That makes no, no sense. It, make, it makes no all. sense. And and I think the, an overarching issue here is exactly that. Not only just inconsistency, but accountability and transparency with the refereeing. So the officials here have no accountability whatsoever I've n- i haven't seen anything i was on i was on danny's podcast and we were talking about we were talking about like why that is and his his theory was that you know there's this kind of notion in you know in kind of english culture in general that like uh, that, that politicians whatever are almost uh, unaccountable and it's in my country too you know that this notion <laughs> well, that like yeah, yeah <laughs> we're, we're, i'm not going to get into the political discussion but i'm just saying that it's like it, it there is this this kind of thing and and you know it's there with the referees as well. Like, when was the last time that we've seen a rep- a referee like severely admonished for getting something that wrong? We've seen managers who make in- bad decisions, coaches who've made bad decisions, made mistakes, and had to publicly apologize for it. Why is it any different for a ref? Why is there no and and why is the oversight that a ref is going through not more transparent? Look at Australian football. Look at rugby, where they actually have to when they're reviewing penalties, when they're doing the VAR. You can actually hear the discussions that they're having. Why can't we have that? What is so difficult? Like the technology is there. We should be able to see what these decisions are. And if there's one that's completely wrong, there needs to be repercussions. And if someone's consistently doing it, there needs to be even further repercussions. And not only do there need to be repercussions, I think that you need to be more transparent about the procedure for those, whatever the due process is, and and, and the results and outcome of any kind of determination there. Because we as fans who spend so much, <laughs> who spend so much money and time and emotion and life into this sport we love so much we deserve to know and have and make sure that it's being conducted in a way that's and, and the money the money the money that's in the premier league you would think that the, that the, the the refereeing quality is on par with the rest of the world and it's it's like hilariously not and it needs to change and i am i'm gonna get off my soapbox now but it's it's a joke already it's a joke already you stay on that soapbox i'm gonna i it's just i, I think i think the thing for me is that it, it reminds me of a a school, like a boarding school with these old archaic traditions that are meant to be unquestionable. I think the Premier League doesn't like uh, managers or players coming out and talking about referees because it undermines the entire thing, which, which in theory... They undermine themselves. 
in theory, I understand. But as yeah. John says, they undermine themselves when they make stupid decisions that appear to contradict each other and the rules change from week to week. But I, I think a lot of people would have more respect and the Premier League referees would have far more credibility if they were to come out and say, do you know what, guys? This guy's got it wrong. He needs to go through training again. Or this referee... Uh, he's going to be demoted to the championship for a couple of games just so he can get back up to the speed. In the same way that players can be dropped, referees should be able to be dropped. And I do believe that would make people say, you know what, fair enough, we're all human. We all make mistakes. Even VAR, which is meant to eradicate it, we make, we make mistakes. But it would at least show that they're trying to do something about it. But for right now, it seems like this big gargantuan beast that can never be questioned and shouldn't be questioned because we are the Premier League and what we say goes. Yeah. And I don't think that's the way to run any organization. And instead of making, instead of admitting you made a mistake to jump through hoops to kind of justify something that like you yeah. can't even say with a straight face that, oh, yeah. well, you know, the proximity, like what? Are you yeah. kidding? Like that's such a poor argument. Like, no, 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 no. This was a bad decision. It was wrong. Come out and say it and then have some transparency and accountability. Why is that so difficult? Why is that so difficult? We have it for players. We have it for managers. We have it for, for owners, billionaire mm -hmm. owners, but yeah. we don't have it for the refs. All season. <laughs> well, that's yeah. a whole other discussion. But my yeah, point is, is that there needs to be more for the refs. They have such an yeah. impact on the game. And uh, and um, there's the refs have more of an impact on, on, on football than in a lot of other sports because yeah. of the red card. Because of the red card. Because mm -hmm. they can at least they could take a player out of the game. Like in hockey, you could do that, but you just go into the sin bin, or in rugby, you go into the sin bin, and then you can come back out. There, you're out of the game. You're playing with a, with ten men now. The, the the power they have to change the decision in a game is is extremely immense. And the response, you know, like with great power comes great responsibility. Well, there there, there also needs to be transparency and accountability. Yeah. So so you know, ode to Uncle Ben there because you know yeah. he, was, he, he was he was totally right there. And we need to apply that same logic to these refs because it's ruining the game. It really is, and it's sad. Wow, I never thought we'd start quite in Marvel, um, but we have. <laughs> We've gone I've been on a Marvel yet. kick. I've been watching like all the all the things. So. Have you watched WandaVision yet? I finished it the other day. I, I mean, haven't finished it yet. I'm, I'm going like. I'm going you, like you're going through like. the films for the first time. No, no, no. Time. This is the first time I've watched it. Like, uh, like, kind of like binge watching wow. the the whole thing That's every right. day. I'm watching like a different movie. So, nice. anyway, that was just in there. No, that's fine. Any any tangent that goes to anything Marvel or drum and bass is absolutely fine. But I mean, I'll keep that in mind. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> um, so, I don't want to linger on the handball thing. We could go yeah. on about it for hours. I want to go for about 15 more minutes and then jump to you guys in the chat box because I feel like this final section, before we do go to questions, is important to ask this question because there's a lot of people that are exceptionally frustrated with where Arsenal are right now, where we are in the league, with what we've done this season, with the manager, with everything. And I titled today's podcast, Where To Now? Um, because I think it is important to think about what, where we are in the table. Because despite, obviously, things and how I feel about things with a lot of things going against us, we are 10th in the league. There are six teams between us and where we want to be. Although obviously a lot of people want to be in first position, obviously, but where... A lot of people feel we should be competing for, which is fourth place. There's a lot of teams between us and them, and there are there's 33 points for us still to get this season. Which I mean, if we if we were to get all 33, which is unlikely, we're still finishing on on 71, um, which is far off what we have finished on in previous seasons still. And that's if we win every single game. So, Adam, the, the question is: is where do we go now? Is how do you feel about the position that we are in the league? A lot of people feel that to, to finish in this position or in and around this position is a sackable offence. 
So how do you feel about where we are right now? Uh, <laughs> if it were, if if Arteta wasn't manager and Edu wasn't in the position that he is, then yes, I would argue it is a sackable offence. So if why, I'm, with Arteta there, do you feel that it's not that case? I think also, given the fact that COVID has happened, he has more of a. Uh, Every team's had COVID, Adam. I'm just, I'm just I, playing I, devil's advocate. No, no, I, I get that you are. I get that you are. But I think he's, he's in his first season, he's won an FA Cup, which isn't something that uh, a lot of managers have done. Even Pep Guardiola, with the blank checkbook that he has, hasn't managed to do it. Uh, so I think he's, he's set his stall out well and has proven that he can coach and manage. Um, if given the time, space, resources to do so. So I think that has bought him time. And I think Eddie will look at that and say, do you know what? I can see you're a man that knows what to do. You have ideas, but you need the right structure to do so. So I'm going to help you um, realise your vision. Um, I do think that 10th makes for horrible reading. Uh, but I, do, I also think that the, the congested um, schedule, fixture list or whatever you want to call it, has made a rod for Arteta's back. And I think if he had more time to coach, which we know that he is quite good at, I think you would see a better uh, improvement in more players. And I think you, that would reflect itself in Arsenal's position in the table. But I think the fact that it's all been congested, everything's been piled together, he hasn't had the time to drill the players as, as well as he'd like, which meant that uh, means that Arsenal are 10th, which means that Arteta is a really bad manager. But it just means it hasn't had the time. Uh, he hasn't had the time to actually do what he is good at, in my opinion. Uh, so that's why he's tenth. Yeah. And if I was Edu, I wouldn't be sacking him because I think I think there's more to come from Arteta. But John. I'm an apologist, right? Yeah, no, so. no, no. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm still I'm just going to remain quiet for a bit. Um, John Everton are sitting in fifth. West Ham are above us in seventh. They're seven points above us. Spurs are seven points above us and we obviously play them next week in Aston Villa, who we sold our goalkeeper to, are above us and they've got a game in hand by two points. Do these teams have better squads than us? And if not, why are they above us? And oh, why are we frozen? Oh, no, yeah. you're fine now. You're fine. No, now. I'm, 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 I was thinking, I was thinking, uh, do they have better squads than us? I think, I think some of them in certain areas, yeah. I don't think overall they necessarily do. Um, I think that... Uh, I think really we started to see a kind of upturn in our performances kind of late on. I mean, you have to consider that, and this isn't an excuse, it's kind of an explanation. Um, look at look at our main goal-scoring threat this entire first half of the season was Aubameyang, and he couldn't even get a goal to save his life. So there was a lot of things that were kind of hampering us, whereas, and, and look, you could put that on the manager. I ultimately think at the end of the day, everything falls on the manager. That's just part of the job, unfortunately. You know, If the team's not playing well, it's because you're, you're not doing your, your job right to get them to play well. And yeah, I get it that that there's, there's an aspect of you can only work with what you have, but on paper, I think we could be doing a lot better than we are in certain circumstances. It was no surprise to me that we started getting some form together based off of the players that we had. So um, that being said, I think that no, I think finishing 10th, while I get the argument of why maybe it would be a sackable offense and we're out of Europe and it would, it would actually be a really, really dangerous financial situation to be in and just in general, a situation to be in. But I think when you're looking at the the kind of cleaning house that went on over the winter window, getting all of this these wages off the book, I truly believe, and, and I'm, I'm hoping I'm right on this, that there's going to be a gearing towards fixing the squad that Arteta wants 
to see happen. And we've heard talk about how it's not the squad that he wants. You know, that, that they, uh, there was a quote that he said, you know, like this is a, a percentage of the squad that I want. So for me, I'm kind of, it's almost like an intellectual curiosity to see what an Arteta squad actually looks like. Because it could be very exciting or it could not work out. Right. And I think it's going to be very trying. It's going to be very telling to see the moves that we are not only make, but really are, are, are conditioned on the ability that we have to make them based off of our, our position and whether we're in Europe or not. So for me, I'm, it's, I'm, I'm in like a wait and see kind of a thing. I'm not Arteta out or anything like that. You know, if that's even a thing, um, I, oh, it's I wanna, a thing. <laughs> it's I, a thing. Look, I mean, that doesn't surprise me, but I, I, I feel like, I feel like I get I would get the consternation. I would get the I would get the frustration with finishing 10th and being out of Europe. I would be I'd be really upset with that. But I would also I really want to see what Arteta can do with a squad that he puts together. Because that you know, all, the entire time when Arteta signed it was this excitement over what it could be. It was this, you know, kind of under the tutelage of these great managers and he had all this potential and people were talking about him and his kind of footballing mind and everything like that. I, I still want to see what he can do with with the resources at his disposal. If we have a team and we're looking at it and we're going, this is our tennis team on paper, and we're still, I mean, it's the same stuff, right? And we're still struggling. We're mid-table. We're not challenging or anything like that. At that point, it's like, look, you have no excuse, all right? You were Maybe you just weren't ready for this position. Maybe you were, you know, it just didn't work out, you know, whatever the, the reasons are, and, and we'll address them at the time as the case comes by. But But going into that, I want to see what he can do. I want to see what he can do with a team that he can't look at and say, oh, well, I don't have the players I need anymore. Yeah. You know, I want to see that. It's a little bit selfish, but I want to see what that looks like before I can really yeah. pass judgment on him as a manager. So here's my point of view. I'm very much aligned with, with you two, I think. Um, for people that get obviously very frustrated with this being, as we've described at times, as an echo chamber, hopefully uh, tomorrow will be an interesting chat because I'm going to be talking to Sophie from the Highbury squads um, at 9 o'clock. Me and Sophie have very, very different views about the current state of the club, so make sure you tune in for that tomorrow evening. But to kind of set out my stall about where I am, I know a lot of people know where I am, and I'm still very much on what I want to... I really want to kind of push forward with this and, and as John says, see where it goes because I've seen things and I know I harp on about this, but I just, I, I can't help but reiterate it over and over again. That's the fact that I've seen things happen in the last year that I've not seen this club do in a decade or more. I've, I've not seen a coach identify the positions that we've needed and go out and sign a world-class centre midfielder, a top-class centre-back. I've not seen that happen. I've not seen us compete more competitively in these games against top six sides. I've not seen us go to Old Trafford and play in an industrious way and win in a really savvy, kind of horribly cheap way. But that's sometimes what you need to do in the Premier League. And I've not seen us do that. And we haven't done it since 2006, obviously. We, we won in a more stylish way in 2006. But the point is, is that we've, we've not competed in those games. I've not seen us do so many of the things. There are a lot of things that are still lingering on from previous... Uh, previous eras at the club, previous problems. And a lot of that is down because there's a lot of the still same players that were around during those times. And on that, I've seen this coach move out a lot of the problem players that have been here. And I have faith that that will continue into next summer. The issue with uh, Arsenal is that for me, no coach could come in at this stage and change our fortunes dramatically. Could someone have come in at the same time Arteta done a better job? Probably. 
that's the honest answer. Someone probably could have done a better job than Arteta. It's not a point that we're going to talk about right now because we've got Arteta and I feel that he started off by doing some good things and that if that gradually builds upon and builds upon with further good things, it will turn around. The issue is with the club is that we have regressed over the last three or four years and longer than that. And we are at a point where whilst we've been regressing, other teams have been improving and you don't change dramatically by bringing in two good players in the summer. You need a lot more than that, and that will happen gradually. So I get where we are is not good enough, and I understand that, and I really get the frustrations of people, but I am willing to look at I'm willing to give it a year because I feel that if we've not progressed in a year's time after we've made more changes this summer, there is legitimate cause to go, I don't think it's working. And I will sit here and go, after that amount of time, I think there is now enough evidence to have a much more rounded conclusion about where we have moved. If we have progressed and we are competing more for top four positions, we might not be in the top four, but we are within points of competing at this point of the season much closer than we are now. And by the way, we're still only nine points (laughs) away right now, which is still hilarious. Um, It's just that league position is, is big for people. Yeah, I'm going to go now to questions in the chat. We've got a qu- a quite a few guys, and I don't want to keep to you too much more of your no, time. No, we're so good. We're good. If we can get through as many of them as possible, that would be fantastic. Um, Alistair Brawns says, John, next season purchase priority at, is it for you, a striker, or is it at right back? Oh, man, that's a great question. I think that we need, we definitely need some quality on both. I would like to see us get a right back. Sorry. <laughs> I would like to see us get a right back, though. I think that... Um, I'm pressure on who. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, no, I'm going to go with Stryker. Read my I, article. Because I'm already ready. I'm already ready for someone that I think we can get on Stryker. And, and, you know, it's Edward. I think that, that I think he would be an excellent addition to the side from from uh, Celtic. So um, I'm going to go with Stryker because I have an answer to the follow-up question over here. <laughs> <laughs> Again, cheating. Yeah. <laughs> well, John, what you could do, and uh, you could go out and you could read some... I mean, there might be someone out there who did an article on five right-backs that Arsenal could sign. If only someone... Have done that. Oh, I'll, send I'll, I'll wait for the tactical breakdown. Ansgar <laughs> <laughs> uh, Wagner says, uh, Adam, do we give Lacazette the 10 and a three year contract? The answer is no, Ansgar. Uh, absolutely not. Lacazette does not deserve the 10 and the three year contract. No way, Jose. I'm really sorry, sir. I got the. So you're, selling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you're selling, I'm assuming, Adam, in the summer. <laughs> Uh, yeah, unfortunately not. I would keep him, let him run down his contract, but the position that we're in, yeah, let's get the money for him. Sorry, Laka. Mm, fair enough. Um, Craig Barlow, John, says, if Xhaka and El Nenny were sold, who realistically <laughs> could we get in the summer? Oh, there's lots of these. I mean, realistically, it re- look, I'm, I don't want to not answer the question, but it really depends on are we in Europe? Um, like wh- how do we end up finishing in the league and what is Arteta actually going to be prioritizing in terms of, I don't think Xhaka and El Nenny will both be sold in the summer. So I don't think that we're going to ever have to make the decision, but assuming we did and assuming, I mean, it really is difficult to say. It, it, we're going to have to get a player who's going to be able to to fill a certain role, like, deep, like kind of a deep-lying playmaker type role. Uh, what was the one, uh, I forget, the, the, the Dutch player, uh, it starts the K. What's his name? I can't right now. Oh, um, you know who I'm talking about. Hold on, I'll tell you right next Yeah, uh, that, for? uh, hold on, I'll, I'll pull his name up right now. Him, I think that he would be a good one. Uh, 
Kind of. Yeah, no. Whatever. Point is, it depends on. I'll, I'll get back to you. Oh, uh, Coop Miners. Yes, thank you. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I think that that would be a very because if we get rid of Jaka, you know, and and I, Drew actually kind of brought this up in in our chat, and I was going, I didn't really know much about the player, so I started looking into him a little bit, and I think it's a very similar type of player to Jaka, um, with, with, but but not in the in the ways that are bad, you know what I mean? Like there's some of that that mobility that he has a little bit more, a little bit more two footed. So we're gonna. It seems like at least right now that. Jaka's or, or that Jaka is is kind of key to the way we play. So if we're going to continue, sorry, this is a long answer. Um, no, 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 but, fun. Yeah, this is a lot, but uh, he's kind of key to the way we play. So if we find someone to replace him, I think there needs to be a kind of almost a like for like replacement. And I think that that it, to, to to keep playing the way we want because I do think that's how Arteta wants to play. So yeah. There. Yeah, no, interestingly, I was very much on the point of view that Arsenal needs to look at kind of a, a younger player profile, but weirdly, like. Arsenal got a, a lot of young kids coming through. Yeah. Like you look at this season, Bakayo Saka, Emil Smith-Rowe that have come through. Martinelli obviously is in the background. Um, you've got other young players in the in the, uh, in the the other side of things coming through. Mavropanos, Saliba are both coming back from a loan deal. Um, we arguably will need to replace our right back. That could be of a younger player. But what we could look to do is in some positions, like centre midfield, We've got a 27 turning 28-year-old Thomas Partey. We could get someone in their prime, I feel, in centre midfield. We could get a mid-20s, 25, 26, 27-year-old striker in to replace Alexandre Lacquer. I think there is scope for Arsenal not to just go down the young route because I do think we need people that are going to come in and have an immediate impact next season. We signed Gabriel, who was still a prospect in a way, 22 years old when we signed him. He's not the finished article and he will improve. We've signed Pablo Maria as a really good competitive option at left centre-back. We've got young centre-backs coming through and we've still got Holding who's moving into his prime too. I genuinely believe Arsenal's squad is in a position with those players that we talked about that we, if you add two or three prime in going into their top part of their careers, it could really change the way that Arsenal play. And I think that you can look at certain positions of the pitch, right back, centre mid and striker. If Arsenal can get a really good right back, a really good centre mid and a really good striker, I genuinely think you're looking at next season going, we're in a much stronger position. Oh, we're winning the league. <laughs> it's just so easy. Just I mean, we're going to win this season, so we're good. Yeah. Now, Adam, Ian says, what realistically this board, uh, what realistically <laughs> this board is going to offer to Arteta financially if we Finally. don't secure any yeah, European Arteta. football? <laughs> Uh, Ayan, thank you for the question, sir. Um, I okay, <laughs> the real answer is I don't know. I'm gonna pretend that I do. Um, <laughs> I think the fact that Arsenal have taken out a loan, um, makes me think that cash, uh, is not easy to come by. Uh, I think Arsenal are, if not the high club highest club or one of the top two anyway, that gets the majority of their money from sort of match day revenue uh so i think that's obviously impacted our, our funds as well so i think we'll have to end up selling to buy um and so i think ultimately you can answer your question by thinking about how much we'll get for the players that we sell uh obviously it doesn't look like he fancies Guendouzi. doesn't look like he fancies uh terrera either bellerin could be going um but then all of those players will probably get a lower value than we'd ordinarily get for them anyway so mm. yeah I think I think ultimately we'll probably have maybe seventy to eighty million pounds to play with. Um, that's mm. assuming we get rid of all of the players that we want to get rid of, and if we don't, I think we're probably looking at maybe forty to fifty. Um, I th- yeah, I think that 
this summer we will spend more. I think we're in a better position this summer than we were last summer. A couple of reasons for that. The players that we signed this summer, Gabriel, cost us around £25 million. A lot of that, um, only a small percentage was paid last season, and we will pay a bit of that. Thomas Partey was paid outright last season. We've still got, obviously, players like Pepe that we've got to pay for in, in, in installments and other players too. But we didn't actually spend a lot necessarily last summer. We also, last summer, didn't make a lot of money. The only money that we kind of made was from Emmy Martinez's sale to Aston Villa. This season and this summer coming up, we've got players to sell like Lacazette, as you've already talked about there, Adam. You've got the likes of Bellerin, Torreira, Genduzzi. You've also got some of the players that are on the periphery that are the younger uh, core, like Enketia, Reese Nelson, Joe Willock. These guys, I think there is much more of a scope this summer for Arsenal to make a fair amount of money on player sales in comparison to last summer. So I'm I'm more optimistic about this window. I also believe the amount of players that we got off the wage bill, including the likes of Mesut Ozil in January, is going to really help with us financially. So I would be hugely disappointed if Arsenal didn't end up spending more money this summer than we saw last, even with the impact of the pandemic. The loan that we took out was to deal with that. And so hopefully we'll be funded also with injection from from the ownership as well, as we have seen. So I am optimistic about the summer and I'm hoping that the manager gets backed. Um, I said we'd go through these pretty quickly and we're failing drastically so no, far. Uh, these are great questions. John, Peter Renner says, if we can get them uh, if we can get them or players like them, would a midfield of Partey, Xhaka and adding maybe a Basuma or a Wepu uh, be good enough for us to get into the top four plus other additions? So yeah, because I kind of I kind of alluded to that a little bit earlier when I said I think a, part, a midfield of Partey and Jaka, despite kind of what I think the majority opinion on them is, are good enough to get us into the top four, especially that last part plus other additions. So uh, on paper, I think that we're better. We we almost made it into top four with a worse team. So I it would be kind of weird to say that we can't get in the top four with a better team. And mm. obviously right now there's been a lot of issues and, you know, the pandemic and all that stuff. I don't know if that's an excuse or an explanation, but th- the answer is, yeah, I think that we could. I think we absolutely could. And um, it's really that, that comes down to Arteta. Can he do it throughout the whole season? Can he manage the team in a way? And, you know, a little bit of luck. There's always a little bit of luck in, in this. But you sometimes you make your own luck, right? So... It really depends on how how he he utilizes the players throughout the whole season, how we rotate if we're in different competitions. There's a lot of factors involved, but the ultimately the answer is yes. Especially if we make a great addition like Basuma, who I think is an excellent player um, and would a- absolutely add quality to the midfield. That wouldn't hurt, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt G uh, says, Adam, how many more times this season will we say the words, this is a must-win game? <laughs> um, I think... I think- Matt, that kind of depends on your expectations. Uh, there are no more must-win games for me um, in, in yeah in, for this season because I think I'm willing to just let Arteta do what he wants to do. I, and to tell you a dirty little secret, I don't even really want Europa League next season. So, yeah. Um, which I know John doesn't agree with. I'm not sure how Tom feels. But I, I, I think it's that. win-win. Uh, I, think it's, I, I think hear it's- it. I, I, I think it's win. I can see the benefits of getting it and the benefits of not having it. I think if, if we get Europa League, the worst thing that can happen is if we qualify for the Europa Conference. That's mm-hmm. what I don't want to qualify for. So Rash. I don't think that's an unreasonable position, Adam. And I actually kind of had that when we first were like in Europa. I was like, I'd be cool if we weren't in this anymore. Uh, 
I have since changed my opinion on that. I yeah. think it would be because of the Champions League prize, yeah, and because of how long we've been out of the Champions League and what the effect I've seen on the financial side of things. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, it would just be real bad if we're not in Europe. I get it, but uh, yeah, in answer to Matt's question, it depends on how you feel, bro. So yeah, that's just, yeah. yeah. Um, Yonick says, uh, John, what were all of your goals and expectations at the start of the season? So my goals and expectations were to see a change in the attitude of the team and to actually see an improvement and actually a discernible style of how we play. That was kind of Has that and, been achieved. Yes and no. I think we're seeing a lot of tinkering right now. I think I think Arteta is trying to figure out what the hell to do with this group of players that he has right now. And he has some extremely talented ones and these young, exciting players, and he's doing a lot of cool stuff with them. And 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 it's 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 starting to see like, okay, I can rely on this player, I can rely on that player, and that takes a little bit of time. So my goal was a little my expectation was to do, that we would be better than 10th, right? <laughs> but you know, we're in the knockout rounds of Europe. I can't really complain about that. We're, you know, I figured we'd make a little bit more of a run in the FA Cup, considering we were the cup holders. We didn't really do that. Uh, we're not like completely off of that like top six area in terms of point tally, but that's as much to do with how we played as well as how crappy other teams have played, uh, and and how how kind of like volatile mm-hmm. that top ten is right now. Um, so it was whatever expectations I had were kind of like very, very reserved. And even then there were some points where I've been a little bit disappointed, but look, it, it is what it is. And it, it, there's always the Europe, there's always Europe. And then there's always next season as well. So, yeah, I, I mean, Jasha also says, Tom, what, what should have we expected this season? We finished eighth last year and we bought in William Gabriel, Runnison Partey and got in two loans, uh, to get back into the Europe and win the Europe. I mean, the, the, I, it's it's a really th- hard thing, Adam. I'll let you go first, um, and then I'll give you my thoughts. What what were you, what were your kind of expectations? In a way, expectations are weird word because in football we talk about things in terms of targets as well and what we should be achieving. What should, in your view, have Arsenal achieved this season in, in the context of the pandemic? The other teams are in the situation and 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 how they're doing. What were your targets for this year? Yeah, I'll be honest, Yonick and Jashar, uh, if you had asked me right at the beginning of the season what I, where I thought Arsenal were going to finish, I would have looked you dead in your eyes and said top four with a straight face. Um, and again, hindsight, wonderful thing. We realise how stupid that, that sounds. But where should Arsenal have been finishing as a minimum expectation uh, at the start of the season? I would have told you top six. Uh, and I would have told you anything outside of that was uh, a bit of a failure. However, I look at how Jurgen Klopp has struggled to deal with uh, a, a high number of injury, injuries. Granted, Arsenal haven't had that many, uh, but if a world-class experienced manager like Jurgen Klopp can struggle so much, um, you know, I guess it's only fair that Arteta can struggle a little bit too. So, so yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to use it as a stick to beat him with. And I think whilst I was expecting top six, yeah, the guy's learning on the job and as Tom said, I'll wait to see what he does when the squad is in his image. Uh, my target was just to see change. Um, mm-hmm. Whatever that change was, uh, was kind of open to interpretation. Now, I know it's uh, the savvy amongst you might say, yeah, we've seen change, Tom. We're now a mid-table team. <laughs> that might be the change that some people say. I don't see it that way. I look at the Premier League as 
as a very different landscape to what it was even two years ago. I look at the Premier League as a very different environment, the money that's been spent by other teams of how successfully other teams have recruited. And I just have a very much more kind of broad view of things. And the expectation of Arsenal, the football club, and the expectations of Arsenal, the the company, um, are obviously two very different things. I also think the expectations of what Arsenal is in general and what you think of and what outside influences would think of Arsenal as is is different to the reality of it. A lot of people, and, and still quite rightly, I don't think it's wrong for people to say that Arsenal shouldn't be a top four team. I wrote about it this morning saying that we pay the high, one of the highest, if not the highest ticket prices in the league to go to games. We've got a very, very rich owner. We're one of the richest clubs in the world still. We should be doing better than we are. Like on paper is, is what the term we always use. But my expectation was is to see change. I'm seeing change. I'm seeing us do better things outside of the pitch. Things on the pitch aren't as good as I'd like them to be. There are some things I think we're doing better. Defensively, I think we're better against big big sides in the league, which has always been kind of our, our Achilles heel. I think we're doing better. But we have sacrificed some areas and things that have regressed, unfortunately, like picking up points in games that we should pick up points in, for instance. That has gone backwards a bit. And it might be a case of... What's, what's good about the toughest thing in the Premier League is actually winning the games against the top six sides. That's what ultimately... You look at the likes of La Liga and the Bundesliga. If you want to beat the big teams, if you want to do an Atletico Madrid, for instance, you do that by beating the teams that are around you are competing for the same goals as you. That's the difference maker. And if you don't manage to do that, you're not going to be up there. So it's an easier task for Arsenal to change to a side that can compete against those sides, but... We need to beat the sides that we should be beating. And we've not managed to do that this season. And that's going to change, hopefully. But I look at that as an easier thing to tweak yeah. than the problem we have had at beating the big sides, John. Yeah, and, and just to kind of put a cherry on top there, I think that ultimately whatever expectations I had were not met, unfortunately. And and yeah, I don't think that there agreed. were unreasonable expectations. And I think that from that perspective, I think there's a lot of criticism that is valid. Um, the, where it becomes a little bit more cons- different is what, what you're willing to put up with to get to a particular place. Are failed expectations expected in a rebuild? Yeah, it's not going to be perfect all the time. Sometimes it can be, and you know, it, and sometimes it isn't. The, the, the problem is, is that once we get to that place, like my expectations for next season are more than my expectations were for this season. And we didn't meet the expectations for this season. So if you don't meet them again when they're higher, you're in trouble. Yeah, like they're they're going up, like and and they're going up because I I'm basically saying, listen, you know, this season is almost I don't want to call it a write off, but like it is that transition, that awkward teenage phase of the team in their transitional period into a team that maybe is a little bit more refined. I, I wish we could skip that. It looks like Everton's kind of skipped that um, to a certain extent. I, th- I think they've done that though. By if you look at the signings they made, they brought mm-hmm. in Alan, Decora, and James Rodriguez, they three players signings. that are. Well, they are good signers, but they're three players that, as I said about the summer that we've got coming up, they're three players that are going to have impact immediately. They're in their prime. They're in the the top of their game, and they're coming in. Beg Godfrey was obviously a different end of that scale, and he's going to come in and do better. And and ultimately, listen, listen, the reality of the situation is Ancelotti is a much more experienced manager than Arteta. It's a fact. He just is. 
He just isn't. That's not a slight on Arteta. That's just the reality of the situation. That's part of it. And and I get that. Like our, like Adam said, Arteta's learning on the job. So there. That's why this season, even though it didn't meet my expectations, like okay, let's see what you've learned. Let's see you put it together. You got another season to do it. I'm I'm not gonna give him another one after that. In my head, I mm-hmm. I think if it's the same kind of thing where we're we're failing to meet expectations, albeit I mean they're higher, they're higher because they need to be. Because now you've had a summer, you've gotten rid of the dead weight, you've seen what your kind of players can do. You're not going to get the, oh, you know, this is his team, but he still doesn't know his best. No, 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 no. It's not going to fly anymore. It's not going to fly anymore. So that's a lot of, that's a lot on Arteta and it's not good enough that we haven't met the expectations that I put my, put out. Um, Goon Eagle Eye, uh, our, our good friend Chig, uh, of course, you can find on Twitter. Thank you for joining us in the chat, mate. It says nine points away from top four, but a lot of teams in between. Let's stop qualifying our renewed targets with points only um it's an interesting topic kind of the the fact that we are obviously 10th um and that we are still what's up i mean we have been at this stage weirdly arsenal have been nine points off top four at this stage of the season and still qualified (laughs) for top four in the past it has happened um and weirdly it's a weird position because yes you've got a lot of teams ahead of you but that does mean that a lot of those teams we have got to play and they've got to play each other which opens up the possibility of points being taken off one another, as you've seen with Chelsea and Liverpool this week and Everton and Liverpool previously and, and Leicester and that dropping points too and us, us taking points off Leicester. It's it's going to happen. I think that there's a lot of football still to play, Adam, at the end of the day. like There is 33 points still to play for. We've got Spurs next week. That is a massive, massive game. It's annoying that they're coming good at a very <laughs> obvious time. Um but we're at home and it's it's a game in which we need to change. Like the record of Arsene Wenger against Jose Mourinho was, was terrible. I'm not sure he even beat him in a league game. If Arteta can win that game, I think it would really give the side a boost of encouragement and, and that. We we asked earlier on every game up to the end of the season, is it a must-win game? But is that game for you and now a must-win game? I think I think that one could be billed as a must-win game, even with the lowest of expectations, purely if, if for nothing else but bragging rights, I think to be able mm. to, as you say, change the psychology, change the mentality of the players to say, all right, this is our toughest or one of the toughest games on uh, our run in our toughest game of the season. What what can we do if we manage to string two, three win, wins together? Um, so, yeah, I think this one I can, I can easily classify as a must-win game. And I, I just hope that, yeah, Arteta manages to galvanise the team uh, to to win, John, talk to me about I, your thoughts opinions about I, North London Derby. North London Derby is always a must win for me, in my opinion. I don't care yeah. where we are, where we are in the table. I don't care where you know. I, I don't care where they are in the table. It doesn't really matter. I don't care if, if they ha- haven't won a trophy, which they haven't. You know, there. This is a game, especially against the, against the Spurs side with Jose Mourinho as the manager. Like we got to beat them. We got to beat them. And I know, I know, it's like doesn't really do much in in the overarching picture of things. But you know, there's certain things that you can't just give up as an Arsenal fan just because we're in a rebuild and like losing. The Spurs is one of those things you just can't give up on, and it just can't be accepted ever. And it's one of those games where, like, you got to get up. They have the players have to be like fired up, and like to to know for a fact that there's no excuse to not be fired up for a North London derby. Should be. I don't care if it's sandwiched between two even probably more important games for the for for the future of the club. Like, we got to win the North London derby. That's just okay. in my opinion okay. as an Arsenal fan. They, they're let, probably not looking at it like that, you know. But I'll just let me give you a proposition. So we've got Olympiacos as well on Thursday. 
If I said to you, we win that game 5-0 with five oh, away shit. goals. Oh, shit, I know where this is going. <laughs> but we lose the NLD. What you Why? Picking? I don't – man. Uh, I mean, well, yeah. He's basically asking the question, what no, is you're right. important you're, for you're our right. season? You're which right. one game? I mean, Olympiacos, ultimately, in the bigger picture of things. But I think yeah. they're both they're, – it, it, but it doesn't need – I don't see why it needs to be one or the other. I think that – We know, win 5-0 and still go <laughs> – we uh, can win five nil and then still and still beat you know. But look, yeah. I mean, obviously, getting and that's the way that the club are going to look at it, right? You know, they're gonna, they're going to have Arteta's going to look at this as yeah, we have to be, win uh, to keep our European hopes alive. But mm. but then he's got to also be it's difficult because he's also gonna be saying like, look, we also got to beat Spurs and then go back and play Olympiacos again. I think we need to just blow Olympiacos away, which is. Yeah. So, so when you're that's not fair because that's not really what the, the question was is is the North London Derby a must it's win? Well, uh, Olympiacos for the, the the bigger picture of things, but yeah. I still I still don't want to lose the North if, London Derby. I just I can't. Oh, I, I, if Arsenal win the Europa League, it, for me, I, it just wipes off the league season. Like it, I don't yeah. I don't give a crap what happened in the yeah, league. A lot that's of true. a lot of trying not to swear. Like a lot of crap happened to us this season, in my view. If we win that. Yeah. It's mental. Like it would, it's it's it would be like finishing fourth, effectively. Like, and I know that a lot of people would turn around and say, "But we didn't," and it was a case of winning the Europa League. But it does. Oh, it basically man. gives you. It's it would be huge. Like I can't understate how massive winning the Europa League would be. Yeah. For Arsenal. This is why I was dreading. I was dreading drawing Spurs because if we draw Spurs, there would be three North London derbies in a week. Back to about back. in a week, back to back. I couldn't handle that. Now, as a drum and bass fan, I love when you see the words back to back because it's usually between three great artists. But when it's <laughs> when it's a North London derby back to back, no, I'm not I'm not too keen on that. Um, anyway, I'm going to be the most annoying man in the world and ask both of you for a prediction. And in the chat box, if you could get your predictions ready for both games we've got coming up this week before the next podcast. And whilst, sorry, John, I didn't realize you were that angry. <laughs> I just um, I, I hate losing the Spurs, man. I hate losing the Spurs. Um. I can tell you what the boys are thinking. That next podcast, which is on the 15th, uh, which I believe is Monday, it is indeed. So on the 15th of March, I'll be joined after the Spurs game by Drew, uh, Johnny Cochran and Raf are going to be on for that show. And on Tuesday this week, uh, so tomorrow, not tomorrow, sorry, on Tuesday, I'm going to be joined by Drew for our Let's Talk Arsenal show. Uh, me and John will be around at some point this month for the next Let's Talk Arsenal podcast. We will arrange that at some point this month too. Um, Adam, I'm going to come to you first. Olympiacos and Spurs, what are your two predictions, mate? Uh, Olympiacos, we win in a KG 2-1 victory, I think. We make it more uncomfortable than it needs to be. Spurs, you know what? No, Spurs, Spurs, we win. We win. We win. Oh, God. 2-0. We win (laughs) 2-0. No, 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 no. We win it 3-2. We win it 3-2 because there's no way that we're keeping a clean sheet. Absolutely not. 3-2 against Boom. Jordan. I think that we are going to beat Olympiacos. I think it's going to be 3-0. I think it's going to be I th- I, I think we are I think we're going to be like fired up. I think that we're going to be so pissed over Burnley that we're going to just come out of the gates and realize like this is it. This is we're going to put it all on the line for Burnley. Uh, or for Burnley, that's a Freudian slip. We're going to put it all on the line for for Olympiacos, and we're going. To, Why are you laughing at me, man? I want to. We're going to win three 0 It's going to be great. It's going to be season, great. Man, and, just, and then oh. and then I can't I can't look. I want our European 
hopes alive, so I'm putting it out there in the universe. And then for Spurs, I think it's going to be a an, an annoying 2-2 draw against Spurs. Um, and yeah, yeah. so we're going to beat Olympiacos and we're going to draw Spurs, I think. Okay, okay. Oh, I, <laughs> I, I think we are going to – I don't think. I hope we are going to beat Olympiacos 3-0. Okay, there, I've said it. I've, I've got it out of there. That, yeah. I hope we're going to beat Spurs 3-2. Three, three, <laughs> hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. You can't say, I hope. It has to be what you think. Because it's a prediction. Olympiacos 5 mil. But, yeah, but it doesn't really happen. You have it's to understand, Adam, that every, you've watched us this season, right? And you've watched what's happened to us. Everything this season that could have gone wrong for us has gone wrong for us. Like, I... I I just, I can't, this has been my least favorite season of all through frustration, through just silly, just the the, the state of the social media, how things have devolved socially amongst the fan base. More than that, like, Wenger in, Wenger out season. Like, that was... That one, that was unbearable. That because I preferred it because I, I knew where I stood. I knew where there's a very clear line as well between things. And I feel like everyone was pretty much tired at that stage and was just willing to move on to something new. We've got something new now. And it's not even a case of when we, we left Arsene Wenger, it was interesting to see what might come next because it's going to be different. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be new. But this season is just... Yeah, it's, it's deflated me completely this season. It's a really tough one. And if, it, I feel like I've earned something at the end of it. I feel like a lot of all of us have earned something, and hopefully we can get something out of it at the end. It would be unreal if we managed to win. Because that, if we win the Europa League, that, that would be unreal. I mean, because it would be mm-hmm. FA Cup yeah. first season for Arteta, Europa League second season for Arteta. I mean, that. That would be fantastic, but there's a lot right on the line, and it's a big ask. Olympiacos, maybe not as much, even though there there were there were a team that we went out to like annoyingly, but like I mean, there's some teams that are kind of scary coming into form. You're looking at even like teams like United, who just put on a cl- Spurs, who just put on a clinic against City. You know, like I think I, I was getting a little bit excited. Like we beat Leicester, United was stuttering. Spurs weren't doing that great, and now all of a sudden it changes. Like, it's, yeah, I mean, luckily United have got Milan. Two teams are gonna, one team is gonna get knocked out. That's a big side. Leicester have gone. Napoli have gone. Like, there are some big teams that are, have moved on. Roma's still in it. Spurs are still in it. We're still in it. There's Spartan. Uh, someone- uh, uh, what is it? Um, there's good teams. There's good teams. Chakta, there's good, sorry, some, yeah. Someone in the someone in the yeah. chat just said, "Where's the faith coming from?" There's no. Th- listen, hold on. There's no faith here. It's not that I think we're going to win the Europa League. It's it's very difficult, but it's, it's not. Hope. It's not. It's hope. It's hope, and it's like it's oh, possible. It's the easiest route back in a, into into uh, the Champions League, and and easy is a very very st- big stretch. Okay, so it's hope. It's hope. We're predicting. It's pure hope. It's, I hope it's, we win. And yeah, and that's the thing. It's that it's uh, it's what I, I I genuinely I went into this and I was talking uh, the earlier to the half about this. So I was not dreading this podcast, but I'm genuinely really sad as an Arsenal fan at the moment. Like I'm so down about Arsenal at the moment because because of what happened yesterday and the the VAR stuff. How we I feel genuinely feel we were robbed of that performance and how things would be very different. The Wolves get I haven't got over that Wolves game. I really yeah. haven't over that no. Wolves game. And you should have. Because- I'm, 
I'm a little confused what's going on in the chat. It seems that people are thinking that we are we are optimistic about winning Europa League. Oh no, we're just this Let, is pure hope, this guys. Is, this is, <laughs> we're willing this into existence. <laughs> yeah, there's no there like this. We have to play potentially Spurs, United. These are teams that are coming into amazing form right mm-hmm. now. Like this is not easy, and likely we're out of Europe next season. That's the yeah. that's what's probably going to happen. Um, yeah. I, but I don't want to. I want to like like get that out of there. You know, like. I, I think that it's possible, so why not believe that we could have the ability to do it? We we can, like if we put on amazing performances, it, it's a it's a knockout competition. Like mm. one goal win each game. You know what I mean? So like let's you know if I if I don't think that there's a reason to watch the games because I think we're not going to win it, then like what's the point of being a sports fan in general? Like this is why we watch exactly. That's what football. that's what annoys me, and I, I, it's a shame because I've actually seen conversations this week with people. Like I've had people tweeting me. I I put jokingly out like we're only uh, five points off the champions and we got a game in hand. Like I just jokingly, and people go, it "Doesn't matter, we're going to lose that game in hand." It's, like, <laughs> it's, that, it's that attitude that I just can't stand. It like just. Just, I feel like, in a way, a lot of people have forgotten what it is to to support the club. Like, it's really sad. It's really sad. Um, yeah. The stage and like doesn't stop me from coming on here and uh, with some fantastic people like yourselves and trying to try and. We're, we're gonna we're gonna win three 0 anyway, so it doesn't matter. So don't worry I really about hope. it. I really, <laughs> a win in the North London derby and a win on Thursday would would be unreal. Like it yeah. would. It would turn not turn people's thoughts on the manager, of course, but it would turn the mood around the club after a really disappointing draw. Anyway, it's been a real pleasure to chat uh, to you guys tonight, and of course, it's been a pleasure in the chat box as well. I know we don't agree; <laughs> we barely ever do, um, but we appreciate all of you for tuning in. If you could drop a like on the video, even if you've agreed with us or you haven't, we would really appreciate that. Um, John, always a pleasure, mate. I'm sure we'll schedule a Let's Talk Arsenal podcast. At some point, I know that you're coming on at the end of the month for the Interlull podcast, which I'm planning to do as maybe a quiz, which could be quite fun. Mm. So, yeah, we have got a spot going, Adam, if you're still available for that one. But uh, it's it's, it's, going to be a quiz, I think. What is a quiz? Like, I'm out of school for a long time. I don't want to. Name the most successful young Spanish manager at Arsenal that won an FA Cup in 2020. <laughs> oh, I'm going to lose this quiz. I'm terrible at these kind of quizzes. Um, but yeah, we're, we're going to do something for the interlude because it's the international break, and it's you know, there's I mean, there's barely any good football on because everyone's retaining their players. No one's letting mm. their players go and play, so it's going to be a really weird international break. Um, yeah. Anyway, though, yeah, it's been a pleasure, Adam, as always, mate. No problem. Thank you very much. I've, I've enjoyed today. It's been like a therapy. It's been yeah. great. It's been great. And the chat, like, as much as there's certain things I've disagreed with, they've been awesome today. Good yeah. job, chat. Yeah, genuinely, you've had some really good discussions in there, guys. Um, it's going to be... It's Hopefully, the, the mood will change. So join us tomorrow uh, at 9 o'clock in the evening. I'll be joined by Soph from the Highbury squad as we have a, a very frank discussion and debate where two people with very different points of view, so it should be interesting. And on Tuesday, I'll be joined by Drew. Um, and, yeah, and we'll be looking ahead on Wednesday to the Olympiacos game. And after that Olympiacos game, there will always be the Raw Reaction Show. And hopefully, I'll be back with you for the game as well. Uh, fingers crossed for the watch along. It's been an absolute pleasure, as always, uh, to speak to you tonight. We will see you again very, very soon. If you could drop a like on the video, I'd really appreciate it. And subscribe to the channel if you're new. And make sure you give the guys a follow on their respective Twitter accounts. We'll see you again very, very soon. And as always, up the Arsenal.
It's the 90 plus minute. All your mates around and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your McDelivery. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.